Welcome to a breath of fresh earth, taking the commitment to a clean environment to the next level. Your host, Rick Friedman, will crown the climate hero and villain of the week, along with discussing worldwide environmental issues, showcasing new products designed with the longevity of our planet in mind, and putting the spotlight on the individuals making a big impact in helping the climate and pollution crisis through social media. Now, your host, Rick Friedman. Hello. Thanks for tuning in to the first episode of the second year of this podcast. Does nature have legal rights? In six countries, the answer is yes. In Ecuador, the people call Mother Nature Pachamama. The name is derived from the Inca fertility goddess with the same name. Back in 2008, Ecuador became the first country to alter their constitution to include nature's rights, including maintenance and regeneration of its life cycles, structures, functions, and evolutionary processes. No doubt this had something to do with protecting the Galapagos Islands, but no matter the reason, they were the first. Let's take a look at the other countries that grant personhood to nature. In 2017, New Zealand granted the Wanganu River the legal rights of a human being. The indigenous tribe called the Maori considered the river as if it was one of their ancestors, and the courts agreed. The river now has inalienable rights. In 2017, the Columbia Constitutional Court gave legal rights for the Atrato River, and in 18, the Amazon's ecosystem was given the same rights, which was for the protection, conservation, maintenance, and restoration of the area. Australia wanted in on the action. So in 2017, they gave legal protection to the Yarra River, located in Victoria. The local Aboriginal people of Wurundjeri played a big role in helping develop the plan and the motto, Keep the Yarra Alive. Last year, the people of Toledo, Ohio, tried and failed to protect Lake Erie, claiming they were the guardians of the lake. A local farmer objected, and the law was struck down. I don't live too close to Toledo, but I work just one and a half miles from Lake Erie, near Cleveland, and I can tell you I was pretty bummed out when the judge gave cover to business over polluted water. The judge said the case had merits, and Toledo could probably work on legislation to reduce water pollution. Bangladesh takes the cake. In 2019, their Supreme Court said that all rivers in the country are alive and entitled to legal rights. In 2017, an Indian court declared the Ganges and the Yamuna rivers living entities, giving them the same legal rights as human beings. The High Court in India's northern Uttarakhand state said the Ganges and its longest tributary, the Yamuna, have the rights to be legally protected and not be harmed, and can be parties to disputes. Keep in mind both rivers are considered sacred. The court ordered the government to assure new projects and conservation of the rivers met new guidelines. Well, that sounds great, except for one thing. The Indian Supreme Court overruled and said the rivers cannot be viewed as living entities. The Supreme Court argued that the law would lead to difficult court cases like, can the river be held responsible if someone dies in a flood or drowns? And then last Monday happened, the very next day after I spent time researching this topic. In case you were busy living your life and missed it, a glacier in the Himalayan state of Uttarakhand broke off and started an avalanche and floods that killed between 20 and 200 people. The details are too horrific to repeat. You can watch the video if you wish on YouTube, but consider yourself warned. Why did the glacier break apart? Most likely it was due to global warming, duh. In episode 15, we spent a lot of time talking about this very subject, glaciers melting in Bhutan and killing people at the bottom of the mountain. When people say climate change is something we can deal with later, no, 
People are dying now, today. Last Monday, we've waited too long to deal with the facts we knew decades ago. But powerful people in charge of our governments refuse to take action. And now a lot of good people are dead. Those politicians knew better and ignored making tough choices. These are the consequences of their decisions. It was like I was personally responsible for causing the glacier to break apart because I was researching this very section of northern India. You know, like when you change your seat during a football game and now you've, you've moved and you've jinxed the team. That's kind of how I felt when I saw a video of the flood. I was like, no, I was just thinking about this part of India. I'm so sorry. I know it's not my fault, but I was heartbroken just the same. If you want to learn more about this topic, head over to YouTube and search up the 2018 documentary, The Rights of Nature, A Global Movement, by director Hal Krimmel. It's time for the Climate Hero of the Week. We traveled to Ghana today to find our hero. Can you make a bicycle out of bamboo? Our hero today is Bernice Dapa, who runs a business in Ghana called the Ghana Bamboo Bike Initiative. Bamboo grows fast and absorbs carbon. Bamboo is abundant in Ghana, and bamboo bikes help support the local economy. They ship bikes all over the world. Another cool thing they do is they plant, the company, plants 10 bamboo trees for each one they cut down. Bamboo is stronger than steel. That's hard to believe. And it costs much less and uses less electricity to make the finished product. That's easy to believe. And best of all, the frame of the bike is recyclable. Because the bamboo bikes are so affordable, students who live far away from school can now afford a bike and get their education. Whenever Bamboo Bikes sells a bike, they donate one to a child in a rural community. When Bernice was a child, she had to walk three and a half hours every day before she could go to school. That sounds like something my mom used to say, except my mom walked uphill both ways. The company has sold 3,000 road, mountain, and children's bikes. This is exactly the type of hero I love to mention on the show. She filled a need, she did it in a low-carbon way, and she helped create jobs. Beautiful. I've waited a long time to say this. GM is pulling the plug on the fossil fuel car. The auto giant plans to go carbon neutral by 2040 and is targeted 2035 as the year they stop selling gasoline and diesel-powered vehicles. About time. They're going all in on electric. Right now, 98% of their car sales are not electric. That's going to require a big turnover in just 14 years. Last year, only 3% of all worldwide sales of vehicles were electric. So GM's counting on a new technology to make this bold decision. There's going to be a big need for charging stations across the country for their plan to work. GM developed electric vehicle technology called Ultimum to cut battery costs by 60% by 2025. GM's first vehicle to use the new battery technology is the Hummer pickup truck. That's going to go on sale soon for about $113,000. we got to give props to GM, right? So congratulations and speed up the transition as quick as possible. Here's your social media minute. Check them out after the show. Physicist, research scientist at Finnish Meteorological Institute. Wow, I have a hard time saying that word. Our first social media star is Auntie Lipinen. 11,000 followers on Twitter, and you can find him at Auntie Lipik. A-N-T-T-I-L-L-I-P. He's got great information available and recently added a cool but kind of depressing video showing global temperature anomalies since 1880 until 2020. 
and be sure to look up his temperature anomalies by country from 1880 to 2017. Scary stuff, but, you know, we need to see these things to make sure we keep focused on changing it. And next, take a look at New Zealander Kevin Pluck. That's at K-E-V-P-L-U-C-K. Check out his website, pixelmoversandmakers.com, for some dynamic animations he does about science and our changing planet. I really liked, or was equally terrified, by his global mean temperature versus CO2 concentration chart, and his sea level rise since 1880, and the Antarctic loss video that it really explains nicely how much ice we're losing. With all the good things that I like to talk about on this show, it's important that we keep it real, too. And there are many people reminding us how urgent the situation is. In the mix. In the mix. Thanks, Ashley. Welcome to In the Mix, a quick snapshot of events happening around the world. Izzy will count us up today from number 35 to 44 on our way to 100. Number 35. Were there any good things that happened last year? Well, renewables hit an all-time high. Renewable energy made up almost half of Britain's electricity generation for the first three months of 2020, and in April, smashed the record for going without coal-fired power for the longest period of time since the Industrial Revolution. Denmark announced it will cancel all future permits for oil and gas exploration in the North Sea and stop existing production by 2050. 36. The number of people living in the world without electricity dropped from 860 million in 2018 to 770 million in 2019. More and more cities are phasing out cars. Among those cities are Oslo, Madrid, Barcelona, and several cities in England. And Lloyd's, the world's largest insurance market, announced it would stop new insurance cover for coal, oil sands, and Arctic energy projects by 2022. Bank of America did essentially the same thing, joining Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Chase, Wells, and Citibank, all divesting from fossil fuels. Ditto for Deutsche Bank in the oil sands and Arctic regions. Number 37. Kenya announced the elephant population has more than doubled from 16,000 in 1989 to 34,000 today. Poaching is way down too. The number of lions is up from 2,000 to 2,500. And not to be outdone, there's a baby boom in Uganda. Well, of gorillas. Seven new babies were born in 2020. All right, now maybe that's not exactly a boom, but only three were born in 2019. In 2018, the mountain gorilla was removed from the critically endangered list after conservation efforts proved successful. However, sadly, there are only 1,000 of the endangered mountain gorillas in existence, so the new births are vital for their survival of the species. According to the BBC, the baby boom coincided with the park's decision to stop visits to primate locations, which had been paused due to COVID-19. Since primates share so much human DNA, there was concern that they would be particularly susceptible to catching the virus. Human visits have been on hold since last March, but now small groups of visitors are being allowed into protected areas as long as they socially distance and wear face masks. I think socially distancing from a gorilla is probably a good idea whether there's a virus or not. I see the connection here, don't you? Less human traffic in the park leaves more time for romance for the gorillas. 
So the next time you head to the park and see two gorillas sitting close together on a couch singing, Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. Why don't you give them some private time, okay? 38. Okay, this time I think I'll turn the mic on. Try it again. Here's a follow-up to a story from episode one exactly one year ago when I talked about Capsula Mundi, an Italian company that makes a burial urn. They place the cremated body next to an existing tree or a hole over which a tree will be planted. The urn is biodegradable and eventually turns into soil and nutrients for the tree or your beloved family member. And it's about 450 U.S. dollars. I mean, wouldn't you rather visit your loved one as part of a trip to nature instead of a cold slab of stone? I would. I'm not sold on the cremation part yet, but the company is working hard to develop a full body-sized version. They curl you up in a fetal position and away you go and you're buried next to a big oak tree. Did your grandmother ever pinch your cheek and say to you, Ricky, you're such a sweet boy, I could eat you up. Well, unless your name is Ricky, you probably wouldn't know that. Well, mine did. We might not be able to joke about things like that anymore thanks to several companies that are turning our loved ones into compost. The process is called natural organic reduction or recomposition. After death, the body is covered with wood chips and aerated. And in about a month, with the help of a few more special details from the company assisting the departed, the body's gone and all that remains is soil. The companies offering this new method remove any leftover parts, teeth and pacemakers and knee replacements. And a family member can take some of your sweet granny home and use the topsoil to start a garden or plant a tree. wonder what kind of tree I would start. What else would it be besides a Granny Smith apple tree? A company in the state of Washington called Recompost offers this service for about $5,000. I say it's a great once-in-an-after-lifetime experience. All jokes aside, and there's a million of them, like, Silent Green is people! This is a fantastic and innovative way to give back to Earth. Natural Organic Reduction, or NOR as it's called, is good for the environment, too a new sustainable alternative to traditional funerals or cremations. Stop recording. Number 39. The walls at Chernobyl nuclear power plant in Russia have a fungus growing on them. It's called cryptococcus. Turns out it may be beneficial for humans, particularly in space. The fungi contains high levels of melanin, a pigment that turns skin darker. The melanin absorbs radiation and turns it into a chemical energy, similar to how plants turn carbon dioxide and chlorophyll into oxygen and glucose through photosynthesis. Melanin absorption is an intriguing property that could be used to protect astronauts in space. NASA's thinking that the possibility of using melanin from cryptococcus as a cost-effective way of producing a space-approved sunscreen. In November of 2019, Scientists from John Hopkins University sent melanin derived from the fungus to the International Space Station. On the station, melanin is being tested for its ability to protect against radiation in space. 40. China built a floating solar farm that produces 40 megawatts of power. It's the largest floating solar project in the world, and once it's up and running at 100% capacity, the farm can produce power for 15,000 homes. Number 41. In a recent episode, we talked about sucking CO2 out of the air. A Canadian company is building a new plant designed to do just that. Companies called Carbon Engineering, and they're working with Occidental Petroleum, 
Houston-based Energy Corp., to design and build the world's biggest direct air capture plant. It will be capable of pulling a million tons of carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere every year. That's the equivalent of about 40 million trees. Construction is expected to start next year. Companies like this are going to be popping up around the world, removing carbon from the air. It's an important part of an overall strategy to slow down the worst effects of global warming. Number 42. Whenever I saw the ivy growing on the walls of Chicago's Wrigley Field, I thought, gee, why can't we cover more buildings with live plants and they'd absorb carbon and they'd look a little nicer too? Well, there was a good reason. The vegetation would ruin the structural integrity of the wall or the building. Not so anymore, thanks to Structural Technology Group in Barcelona. They've developed a new type of concrete that allows the growth of a few different types of vegetation that can also provide insulation to the building in Mediterranean climates. I remember watching a television show called Life After People, the premise being how nature would reclaim the land after all the humans are gone. And one of the main things that I remember was how the plants took hold and grew. Perhaps now we could have the visuals of Life After People, but still with humans driving around in our electric vehicles. Number 43. Speaking of Life After People, check out Bright Vibes and head over to their Sustainable Planet section. Lots of interesting articles on that site. And go to Google and type in stunning pictures of Mother Nature on Bright Vibes. And the link will send you to their site with dozens of pictures where nature has taken over where mankind has abandoned buildings. Number 44. Most humans reach sexual maturity in their teenage years. But can you imagine how frustrating it is to be a Greenland shark? They don't reach sexual maturity until they're 150 years old. No wonder most of their time is spent swimming in the cold, deep waters of the North Atlantic. Scientists recently found one shark they identified to be 400 years old. Can you imagine that shark was born 50 years before Beethoven? Can you imagine what the conversation was like between a male shark and his lover? You might not believe me, but I've been waiting 150 years for this moment. I want it to be special. And she says, I bet you say that to all the girls. We are celebrating a special day for a very special man. Happy birthday! George Hadley was born in England on February 12, 1865, and died in 1768. Hadley was the first person to recognize that Earth's rotation played a role in the direction taken by an air mass as it moves relative to the Earth. We take these scientific observations for granted when we see the weather reports. But 400 years ago, we had just the beginning stages of understanding weather patterns. In Hadley's day, it was important for ships sailing from Europe to North America to understand the trade winds. Hadley tried to solve the mystery of why winds that should have blown straight north had a noticeable westerly flow. Hadley's early work led to the global scale of tropical atmospheric circulation that eventually is called the Hadley cell. Here's a simple way to explain the Hadley cell. I think it's time for me to remember what the tropopause is. Let's use the Wayback Machine I borrowed from Peabody and Sherman and return to college for a moment and join my Danish professor as he asks me a question. Mr. Friedman, can you please tell class what the tropopause is? Professor, the tropopause acts as a lid to the lowest part of our atmosphere, which determines all of our weather. The tropopause is the boundary in the Earth's atmosphere between the troposphere and the stratosphere. 
At the equator, warmer, less dense air rises. It rises to a height of about 6 to 10 miles above the equator and then spreads out underneath the tropopause. The warm air spreads out towards the poles, gradually cooling and sinking as it moves before descending to the surface and flowing back to the equator. There are two Hadley cells, one above the equator and one below. How'd I do? Very good. Now please close your computer and stop looking or Google. The flow of air around the planet is changing. The big question is why and what's the big deal about it? Observations have shown the widening of the Hadley circulation has generated regional climatic effects, especially in the southern hemisphere, where southern Australia and the Amazon have declining trends in precipitation. The concern is that as that widens, it could cause a poleward shift of the subtropic dry zone. Scientific simulations show that the widening trend continues as greenhouse gases are increasing. And back to Mr. Hadley for a minute. There's a crater on Mars named after him. So here's a big birthday shout-out to a great man who died a long, long time ago. That ends the first episode of the second year of the podcast. Special thanks today to the rest of the team for helping me out. Stephanie, Mike, Mads, our Danish guy, Ashley, and of course Izzy. And good night to my second favorite birthday boy, Galileo. Thanks for listening to A Breath of Fresh Earth with your host, Rick Friedman. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you're the first to hear new episodes. If you want to nominate someone for Climate Hero of the Week, send it to Rick at the link below. This has been A Breath of Fresh Earth. Thanks for listening.